Uh, I mean, if I give my elevator pitch, uh, I help busy moms and dads lose uh, 10 to 20 pounds in less than 100 days without sacrificing their lives to the gym or cooking separate meals from their family. That's the one that I came up with uh, while uh, going through IOCA. And funny enough, I'll tell the story because it's pretty funny. Uh, the coolest way I ever got an Instagram follower uh, is, you know, my wife and I had a kid two years ago. Uh, she gave birth. And you know, he took him took him away for a hot minute because he had a, an air bubble trapped in his lung or whatever. Uh, and I, as I take him away, she looks at me and she goes, "You can schedule that vasectomy." And I was like, "Cool, I am all in for that." So literally, like three days later, I'm calling around trying to get one scheduled, uh, and finally get one scheduled six weeks later. And they roll me back in there, they lay me down, they numb my balls up. Um, which is a very interesting thing to feel like all of a sudden you just feel this like cold breeze. Then all of a sudden you feel like Novocaine on your balls. Um, and they're talking to me and I'm, I'm actually upset at this moment because they don't have cool music played. Like I watched every season of Nip Tuck. You're telling me that you don't have great balls of fire. Like I've got big balls, Like you don't have some like testicular playlist that you have going on. Nothing. Nothing, just lame, just lame, like elevator music. And I say that to them, and they go, "Oh, you're pretty funny. You're you're pretty funny. Are you a comedian?" And I'm like, "No, I'm I'm not a comedian at all." And the woman goes, "Well, what do you do?" And in that moment, Bryce, everything I had practiced, I was like, "Yes, I've been waiting for this. I'm going to give you my answer that I have rehearsed. I've stood in front of the mirror, give her the whole spiel that I just gave you, and she immediately goes." Oh my God, I need your help. Can I find you on Instagram? And I'm like, yes, you can find me on Instagram. I leave. She had followed me on Instagram. So I got my, I got an Instagram follower while my balls are out and a doctor was snipping my vast deference. Um, so that's the coolest story I have when it comes to getting an Instagram follower. Um, man, I've been doing the fitness thing for almost 10 years. Uh, you know, I got in, I, I was 210 pounds at my heaviest, which is like, not that fat, but is yeah. kind of fat when you're skinny fat. Um, and at my lowest, I, I was like 153, so I lost about 60 pounds. Um, you know, and then I got into it because uh, I was in New York City, I was trying to lose weight, uh, and found John Romanello's book. And of course, I was like, I love you, you're like, you are AC Slater, but you're also Screech, and you love all the emo bands that I love and all the nerdy stuff that I love. And it was like, I love this man. So literally just followed everything he ever said and did. Um, I had a great transformation. My friends started asking me, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? How'd you do it? And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm getting all these questions. I guess I'm going to like get certified and become a trainer. Um, and then 10 years ago, launched my podcast, uh, and then launched my fitness business in like February of 2014. Um, oh, shit. I didn't realize it's been yeah. that long, dude. Wow. You beat me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so nine years, um, and then joined John's Mastermind, and then, you know, uh, have have written for John's website, uh, J Max Fitness, Ask Men, uh, Bro Bible. When they were like kind of a big deal, like eight yeah. years ago, I was writing for them all the time. Um, so like I've written, I had a podcast for a while, but I stopped doing it because I was doing all the editing and like fucking sucks when you're trying to edit and grow your business and do all this shit. Um, and I just lost my passion for it, but 
yeah, I've, I've been doing this for, for nine years. You know, I started working with nerds because that's who I am. And then I had a kid and it was like, oh, now I get it. Like, yeah. now I get all the shit, all the pairs I've worked with were dealing with. I think I now can help them better. Um, so, um, yeah, man, I've been, I've been doing this for working out for like 15 years. Well, I guess on and off, I tried to do it in college, but you know, drinking was more important than slamming creatine. Oh, for sure. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I had the opposite problem, dude. I was like social hermit because I was like, so gym bound in college. It was <laughs> fucked up. Now I'm like the opposite. Now I'm like, fuck that. I want to be the, like, gym. the gym. Let's go party. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, I feel like I'm kind of outgrowing my party phase too. So I don't even know what's coming up next. But um, no, man, I really appreciate you going through the elevator pitch and then also, you know, letting me know some of the background because I didn't even know some of that stuff. Like I didn't know that that you started your fitness business in 2014. I didn't know that you wrote for all of those different outlets. That's actually fucking dope. Um, we can come back to that because I actually definitely want Absolutely. to talk about like the writing stuff because that's something that like I put a lot of emphasis in myself. Um Let's talk about the dad stuff. So mentioned you started out working with like mostly nerds and know everybody needs to have a niche marketing towards a niche that you can greatly relate to is definitely super helpful. Now you can relate to the the dad niche. So how is that going so far? So you you have a two-year-old, um, but let's talk about maybe some of like the other dad stuff that we talked about before we, we started. Before, before you hit record, um, yeah. you know, I, I, okay. We saw each other about a week and a half ago. Um, I don't know when you left the, the shindig, but I, I was like three mollies deep at one point. It wasn't the best role that I've ever had. Um, like I had one moment of visuals and honestly, I think it was, was, I was sitting in that fucking like movie room and they were listening to, I'm sorry if people love dubstep, but I don't want to listen to a robot fart into a can. Like oh, that's what it sounds like to me. Like I, I don't... I don't want to hell Satan. My brain is like, let's go to heaven and look at colors and shit. Like, that's what I want. And I just, I felt like nothing really happened for me. Oh, I, um, I love the the devil sounds, man. That's my shit. Uh, I, I get it. I was talking to Holly uh, and we were kind of talking about it. Like, she was like into it. And I'm just like, uh, this is not like, like, uh, not, not much. They're wired different, man. It's so strange. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's so, it's so, I mean, I don't even like lyrics. Like the house music I like is like just the music. Like it's yeah, it, yeah. no lyrics. Yeah. It's like for me, I would get lost. The lyrics would distract me. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I remember Megan and, and Matt McLeod asked me, you know, sort of like how how dad life is going. I was like, man, if you'd asked me this like a year and a half ago, I'd be like, I fucking hate this. Why did I do this? Yeah. Um, but it has gotten immensely better. Um, one because once they are no longer a fucking potato and you're just like do something you you just <laughs> shit yourself and now i have to feed you again and i've only slept two and a half hours yeah. in five days um once they start to have a personality and they're running around and they're talking and uh you know you accidentally hear them say god damn and fuck and you go yes cool i've taught you uh already um it gets a lot better yeah. yeah, it is. It is much, much better. Um, the first 18 months, I mean, the first six months were absolutely terrible for me. Uh, but the first 18 months were really hard because he wasn't sleeping through the night. Um, and even starting TRT like I did a year ago, because of my mental health, like 
I think if my kid had just slept a little better, I might have pushed TRT off for another year or two. Um, when I look at my blood work, I was like, there's no way I could have pushed it off a year or two because it was, it was in the 300s and it was only going to go down even more. Um, but uh, it, it has gotten better. Um, I, for a long time, I think I was angry about a lot of things. Just, uh, you know, my son was six and my mom died. Uh, she was not, she was 59 and died from dementia. Like no 59 year old should die from dementia, but she just had this crazy aggressive form. So you had that, you had my son being born, you had the long cold winters in upstate New York, which I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like it's, 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 it's just cloudy for like six months. Um, and I need more sunlight. Like I know the Viking blood inside of me is like, traitor, we are used to this. I'm like, no, fuck you. Like if I'm going to live somewhere, fuck the North. Sounds like an habit. I'm going to door. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so that was, that was tough. Um, I had decided to leave the nutrition company that I had been working for because they got bought by a corporation and I knew what was going to happen. And two years later, I'm 100% right. in what has happened. Um, and I was like, it's time to go out on my own. So, you know, I, I, my kid was born and two weeks later, I was like, Hey, Jordan Duggar, I need to join IFCA like right now. Because at the same time, my brain immediately went, Oh fuck, you can't provide for your kid. He's good. Like, no, you've got to make more money. Um, so like all of that kind of happened in the first year. Um, and obviously not sleeping well. Now that he is sleeping through the night, uh, I'm just being sick right now. Um, has more of a personality, you know, can laugh, can like put his dishes away. He can, well, can't really wipe himself yet, but like he's, he can do more adult things. Like he can put his socks away, he can put his underwear away. Yeah. He can almost yeah. put his pants on. Um, without face planting. That is the funniest fucking shit, dude. When a kid is trying to put their pants on and they can't do it and they fucking face plant. It's the worst thing to laugh at. Uh, but it is the funniest thing to see. Um they're indestructible. indestructible. What? They're indestructible. Yeah. 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 Indestructible. Um, but it it has gotten it has gotten much better. I, I would say I I I'm obviously like out of a sec for me at six weeks. I'm not doing it again. Uh, I had no intention to do it again. Um, I, but I don't think I could. So, you know, I will apologize to my son. I'm sorry. You're never going to have a sibling. Um, you know, you'll grow up an only child. So have friends, have lots of friends that are very important to you, um, and get in therapy early. So when mom and dad do die, you at least have a therapist you can go to. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's gotten much better. Uh, it's just, it's a hard thing to talk about because a lot of guys, we don't talk about it. We just do that whole, I'm going to suck it up. You know, I'm going to man up. Um, and a lot of men don't talk about postpartum depression and I'm very open about what I, what I went through because they say 20% of men get it. And that number is likely is likely underreported because men already don't talk about them as well. Um, I know that's something that you talk about, you have suffered with as well. And I think the more of us that do talk about it, and especially for something like postpartum depression, like, yes, men can get it. And it hits men differently than it obviously does, you know, women who are going through hormonal changes. But like, bro, you're also not sleeping. You know, like, that's happening. Um, and I, 
if I didn't have people around me who already talked about their mental health struggles, I don't think I would openly talk about what I went through. Because even my mental health struggles through life have never felt that bad until, you know, three or four months after my kid was born and my brain was like, you should hang yourself. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty bad, but now fatherhood's gotten better. That That's obviously like super heavy. And at the same time, kind of going back to the, the mental health as a taboo subject, I... I think that as we start shifting more towards like the male dominated side of things, especially like the, the masculine male alpha male side of things, whenever it comes to discussing mental health, um, I, I tend to think that it gets a little bit easier for me to compartmentalize what is actually like a, a severe crisis or a real crisis versus what is potentially someone just trying to find a way to reach out without asking directly for help. So the way I, de I describe that is I view a lot of people discussing their mental health as a way of saying, Hey guys, like, look at me without actually saying that explicitly look at me. Right. And this is a conversation actually I had with, with Chris. I don't know. Have you ever met Chris? Who's like my business partner, Chris Beal. He's dating M Duncan. I, I've not, I've not met him. I just see you post about him and yeah. see M post about him. So Chris and I have had multiple discussions about this. Um, and what interests me about mental health is not the, the traditional side of mental health, which is I'm anxious, I'm sad, that type of thing. What interests me more so is it's the things that aren't talked about very much. It's the, the true taboo side of struggle, right? And something like male postpartum depression is something that even now you and I discussing it, it's, it's very hard for me to even wrap my mind around like what that would be like, obviously I understand it. I can, I can rationalize it in my head, but I've never been in that position of having that type of pressure on me, but then also having to deal with it in that way. So my mental health struggles are not comparable to what you've been through, right? Like they're almost completely separate categories and the way that I'm, I'm viewing them, which makes yours very interesting to me. So we have discussed <laughs> a lot of people in our friend group and a lot of people in our friend group are relatively similar in various ways. And this is actually one way too, like without saying any names, we actually have another friend in our friend group who has struggled with something like what you were talking about relatively closely as well. And whenever our friend was going through that, it was something that I, I didn't understand at all because I don't even know if I'd ever heard of male postpartum depression at that point. So I was like, I don't get this. Like, I, I don't understand. And then the more that I heard him talk about it, the more I was like, okay, now I get what you're talking about. That makes a lot more sense. It's so from your perspective is more so, or was it more the pressure, like the pressure to, to provide? Was it? That plus just like the lack of sleep, always having to be on your toes, always having to kind of step up in that moment because your wife had pretty much borne the the brunt of the load up to that point. So you felt like it was your time to shine afterwards. You had to maybe make up some ground there. I, I, I'm truly interested in this because I have no idea, no conceptual idea as to like what that would feel like. So it's interesting that you asked that because 
my first initial reaction is everything I've gone through this year since you were at John's wedding, uh, since I woke up in Ben's arms staring off into distance as my brain was doing something that was the most fucked up like psychedelic experience I've ever had because like there's a part in the name of the wind where he talks about like splitting your mind and like and, and being able to do like two different things that were three or four different things at a time I literally could feel my brain in half witnessing what was happening and knowing the story and all the fear that went with it but like part of me being like it was like this weird thing where like me and this thing that was happening, we're kind of doing this back and forth. And I could feel like my real self, my real brain be like, Whoa, what is going on? I can feel this. Like, So through that whole experience, through the like 10 meltdowns that I've had this year, um, what I learned and what finally like kicked in for me in June was that every decision I have made in the last 18 months, basically since my son was born, Every decision I made was born out of my own insecurities that I was not good enough. And I think there's a lot of men out there who, and I, I've talked about this before, I've written about this on my website many, 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 many years ago about my dad. Um, I didn't have a great relationship with my dad growing up. Uh, my dad cheated on my mom twice. I found out about that years later. Like I adored my mother my mother was this woman i i she hated being married to my dad it was a verbally abusive household all i ever wanted to do was go to school become a famous actor uh and make enough money that i could buy my mom a house and she could get the fuck out of there um all i ever wanted to do was was save my mom um and because i didn't have that good relationship with my dad a lot of the things I did in my life as a kid, I never felt good enough to gain his attention, to get his true love, to really get what he needed. Now, I've learned he couldn't give that to me because he couldn't give it to himself. He didn't understand how to do that. He had his own shit. That shit was blocking him from really connecting with me. Uh, so all of those insecurities, they morph. And they're like, great, you beat me. Ha 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 ha. It's like fucking Ganondorf. Link always has to fight Ganondorf. And you're like, why the fuck are you coming back? Didn't I beat you like six games ago? And you're like back here again. But he always morphs into some new, different, like evil entity. And that's what I think your insecurities kind of do. And I think a lot of men out there have those insecurities. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not big enough to, to, to get on stage as a, as a bodybuilder. I'm not this, I'm not that oh, we do something, we become good enough at something, but we're still not good enough at something else. So when something life-changing like having a kid comes in place, you go, oh, fuck, I'm not good enough for this kid. And I think that's what it was for me. It wasn't so much the sleepless nights. It's that now I understand that all of that stuff put me into a space where I already felt I wasn't going to be good enough. My business wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. What I wasn't doing wasn't good enough. He wasn't going to have the better life that I wanted him to have. Okay, now I've got to work harder. I've got to do more. I've got to do this. And all you're doing is putting more and more on yourself when there's so much little you can already do when your kid is sleeping for two and a half hours and then waking up and then you got to feed him and then he goes back to sleep and it takes you an hour to go back to sleep and then he's up an hour and a half later. Yeah. Like 
there's all of that, but the, all of that was surface. I wasn't getting to the root cause of things. Um, and I think many men who probably have some of those issues probably suffer from postpartum depression because they've never dealt with the stuff. They've never dealt with a fertilizer that allows that stuff to bloom and blossom. And if they had, they might not have postpartum depression as bad or, or maybe less. And maybe that's taking away from people who I, I had a great family life, you know, whatever. Like there's a whole lot of reasons that people have depression. I think in my experience, a lot of it is born from not getting what I needed as a kid and not being able to give myself that now. So now it's like, great, how do I do that so that I lessen this depression? But, you know, you beat the, you beat the bad guy, you beat the boss, and the boss always comes back in some way. Do you, do you think that part of that too could be just an ignorance that male postpartum depression is a thing? Because like I mentioned, you know, I didn't even really know, know that it was a thing. I knew that postpartum depression was a thing, but in my mind, that was a, a woman issue, right? Like I, whenever I hear postpartum depression, I'm sure that most other people, they don't assume that that could be a male or female thing. They just automatically assume that that is, that is the woman that would be dealing with that. So if they hear, oh no, that's that's the father that's actually going through that in their head, that might immediately be like, what? Like there's that confusion associated with it because like the stigma there is the postpartum depression, the struggle after the pregnancy is is the woman's, not really the man's. And and I get I get why that would be the case, right? Like the woman is physically going through the process of carrying the baby, the labor. There's much more of that like emotional attachment to the child from the very beginning. So there's a lot going on there. But in my mind, I could kind of understand why men could struggle so much. I feel like it could be compounded by the fact that like they just don't know what they're experiencing. So it almost feels like they have to push it down and not address it because they don't even know that postpartum depression for men is a thing. I don't, but I think that goes back to just depression in general. Like, yeah. Our our generation, the friends that we are around, we will openly talk about this more than even the people I went to high school with. You know, like even talking to my best friend about this still feels awkward because I'm he's a little awkward guy, but it doesn't matter. I love him to death. But like talking with him can feel awkward because I'm like, I it it feels like you just don't get it. You know, like there's still a part of you that's kind of like, oh. I didn't know someone so close to me could actually deal with this. Okay. Like, I thought it was just something I read about, you know, or like tangentially I experienced. I didn't know someone I actually grew up with and, and know and love could, could deal with this. Like, you didn't seem like the kind of person who had those issues. Yeah. Um. So I think part of it is just men have been so, I hate to use things like cultures. <laughs> we are. You know, we're, we're raised to, to man up, you know, to, to not, to, to fight through it, to toughen up, to, uh, you know, men, you don't cry. Don't let them see you cry. Like we're taught that our emotions are things we just stuff down. And look, if you're on the basketball court and there's like five seconds to go and you miss the shot or you get blocked, like stub your fucking emotions down. You got five seconds left to play. Like you might have to do that at times. 
but we don't teach men how to actually process those emotions when they can get to a place where they can let all that go. And I think that's why you see things like, you know, addiction, you know, in men, you see that men kill themselves more statistically than, than women do because where else are we supposed to go? I can't go talk to my best friend because you seem like, dude, I don't fucking hear that. Like, shut the fuck up. Like what? Like, we can't go to a therapist because, well, if you go to therapy, you must be crazy. Only crazy people go to therapy. Like, we we gave men all these ideas that to get help means you are lesser than. Like, we'll say damn shit, fuck, cunt. We'll say all the four-letter words we want. But we won't say help because it makes us look bad. And and I admit, I, I did that my whole life. Like, I, would, I was in advanced math classes, algebra advanced algebra, trigonometry, I didn't want to raise my hand and ask for help because I was afraid, well, Stephen's really fucking smart. And if Stephen sees that I'm asking for help, he's going to know that I'm not as smart as him. And then he's going to think I'm dumb. And then everyone's going to treat me dumb. And I'm already the socially awkward ginger kid who already everyone thinks is dumb. Like, I don't want to be dumber. So no, I'm not going to ask for help. I'm just going to figure it out myself. Well, I, I definitely get the the sports analogy, you know, and we are we are cultured to a degree. Um, I think that as we're getting further and further removed from previous generations, it's becoming less and less strong on in in terms of like the hold that some of these these cultural norms have on us, right? So like going back to like our great grandfather, our great grandfather, great grandparents generation. Like you don't even fucking talk about your feelings. You don't talk about your emotions. Like even women didn't like no one complained. Like you just fucking suck it up and you do it. Our grandparents, it's a little bit less taboo, but still not really there. Don't fucking talk about it. Like those generations had some hard lives. Right. And then our parents started to have it a little bit easier. Right. Like you go through the sixties, everyone's a hippie. Everyone takes, acid everyone loves each other and slowly starts to move like into our generation and now we are okay talking about our feelings it, it's not socially taboo it is okay like you know you mentioned going to therapy is still kind of like a, a semi-strange thing but you know like here it's almost normalized right like it, it no one thinks any type of way about someone that goes to therapy and i know that like a lot of people almost pride themselves on the fact they do go to therapy. It's almost like a feather in their cap. Like, oh yeah, I go to therapy. Fuck yeah, I do. Of course, man, everyone could go to therapy. Like, which I do agree with. Like everyone could benefit from something like therapy. Um, but it's interesting how that dynamic in my mind has shifted. I still do think that there are times whenever the pressure to be emotionally strong falls back on the man. And a lot of those dynamics happen in a family dynamic. Because within a family, the man is always thought to be the rock. Like no matter what, it, like you always have to be at least, at least on average, right? Like there are de definitely sometimes some families where the the woman, the mom, would be more of like that emotional, I guess, like grounding. But more often than not, the the man is still expected to be that, and I would say even more so in that postpartum period, because the woman, the mom has already gone through so much. So whether it's social, whether it's cultural, whether it's just us telling ourselves those stories, we expect ourselves as 
the men, as the fathers in that situation to step up and be emotionally, psychologically stronger. Like we have to be because everyone else around us depends on that. Like your wife depended on that. Your son depended on you being stronger in that situation and just like gritting your teeth, bearing down and getting your shit done and making sure that everyone had that stability. You were that stability no matter what. And I think that's where it can come from, right? Like the, the pressure is culturally imposed to a degree, but in that dynamic, I think that it's almost always still going to shift to the man because the, the mother has already physically and emotionally gone through so much by the time the baby comes, the father has to step up in that, in that role to be supportive. And I think that support sometimes can almost like take you off guard. Again, I'm speaking from someone who doesn't have a child. I've never been a father, but I mean, I could definitely see how the shock of having your life change in an inf like overnight, like, yeah, this is awesome. It's going to be so fun. And the next day you're like, holy fuck, I'm not going to get sleep for the next eight months. This is scary. This is terrifying. My wife is also overwhelmed. We're both at each other's throats. Like it just feels like your, your life is like never going to get back to any semblance of normalcy. And I could totally see how that would just be this incredibly depressing notion. Plus the fact that you now have another mouth to feed. Plus the fact that you have 18 years of escalating costs where you're like, how the fuck am I going to deal with this? And I, I, yeah, yeah, I am. Dude, years ago, I remember seeing that it cost $265,000 on average to raise a kid for 18 years. And I was like, what can I do with that money? You know what I can do with that money? I could travel to like all the places. Fuck having a kid. Yeah. Like, I said years. And then the cells in my body, which sometimes I think rule me more than my actual brain, we're like, procreate, procreate, procreate. Like, I was talking about it more than my wife was talking about it. There, no, I, I, I totally get that, man. Like, for myself, that's outside of the fact that, like, emotionally and maturity wise, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be there to where I would, like, voluntarily say, I'm ready to have a child right now. I, I think the responsibility is one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's awesome that you would have a child. It's awesome to feel that connection, to to procreate, to have like another you ro running around. Like that, that's an amazing feeling. But myself, it's like, I, I don't ever, whenever I think about it, I don't see the excitement. I see the responsibility and I see the sacrifices. And, but, and I don't ever shift to seeing like the excitement of having a kid, you know? I But this is the thing is I think I, I fully agree. I saw nothing but the responsibility. The responsibility of having a kid terrified me. Yeah. There was there was no excitement. Like I wasn't, and I'm still not, like there are some dudes I know who are like they are a dad, and it is like before they were a dad, they were just a dude. Now they're a dad. Jordan, I'm not gonna name people, and I like now that Jordan's a dad. Yes, a hundred percent. But I'm not like. That's never been me where I'm not one. I don't like labels. Like I just like, like, like if I go to a sex party and like a dude sucks my dick, does that mean I'm gay? No. Like I just <laughs> like, I'm going to suck your dick. I'm in the middle of it feeling good. It just happened to be a dude, whatever. Like I, like, I, I don't like, I don't like labels putting on people because I think we try to live up to that label sometimes more than who we are. So and I told Deidre this the first time I ever met the amazing human being that is Deidre Arkman, uh, rolling my balls off, by the way, and just like volley spilling 
Like, I didn't know that's what happened when you were on Molly, that you could do that. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Deidre. Uh, Deidre, the best human being. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I, I told her, I was like, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not a dad. I just do dad. Like I, I'm not a, I'm not a dad. I just do dad things. You know, like that's how I see myself. I'm more than just this label of I'm a dad, you know, like, yeah, I have a kid and I'm a father, but I'm not a father. Like that's not my whole identity. Yeah. Um, because I don't want it to, I don't want it to come that because then I'm not going to, maybe I don't do other things. So it's like, well, I can't do that. I'm a father. Oh, I can't do that. I'm a dad. It's like, fuck labels. I'm just a dude who does a lot of stuff, you know, or does interesting. Um, but there, you know, there are some guys out there that, that are very much like that. And I think for them, that might be the shift they have is they have that shift. You know, we're like some guys, my wife said this, some guys are like a taxi. They run around with their light on for years and then they find someone and like, nope, that's it. Light is off. And they're with that person. Um, and maybe that's how it is for, for, for people being fathers as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I still was terrified of the responsibility, yeah. terrified. And this was before my wife took a job where we moved across the state. Cause we're now basically like a five minute walk into the state of Vermont. Uh, and she took a $12,000 pay cut to come here because we're closer to grandma grandma can have more of a life with her son. Um, so like my wife was making more than I was, but I still, I still had that feeling of, I can't provide, I can't give him what he needs. And literally our rent in this town home was like $1,100. Yeah. It was, I had a whole basement, unfinished basement to myself. He had a room upstairs. We had a room upstairs. We had a living room and kitchen. Like it wasn't the coolest place, but it was fine. Um, we, our bills were paid. We were able to do a lot of things. We move over here and you take a thousand dollars out of your paycheck. You're out of what you're normally used to having every month. Like that would be fine to pay daycare with, but now we're paying daycare with a thousand dollars less. So yeah, a lot of that stuff. Now I started fretting about responsibility more, more and more. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think men don't know they can get postpartum depression, depression and don't know that it's happening when it happens and they don't know who to go to. Like I couldn't call my best friends and be like, Hey guys, uh, I need to talk to you because they're not dads. Like I could have called our mutual friend, Derek Stanley, but like Derek probably has his own shit that Derek deals with, but God damn it, Derek, your life is so fucking, I don't want to say perfect, but it just seems too goddamn perfect, sir. <laughs> like, I don't like, you know, like he's so happy go lucky that if I was like, Hey uh, Derek, I'm happy. I don't know if he, I was too afraid he wouldn't connect with it. Um, and there, I wasn't, there aren't some people that are just like, they are truly happy all the fucking time and like man good for them good for them like those people that can just brush off anything that are are so chill about all of life's responsibilities and life's burdens and life's fears and all of that shit and uncertainty i wish i could be like that i'm way too high strong for that shit but like i can <laughs> imagine i can only imagine how introducing a child into my own fucking mental chaos would just absolutely throw me off the edge like it like it would just be such it would be such a clusterfuck for my ability to 
maintain some semblance of normalcy in my life, which is, I feel like sometimes the only thing that tethers me to, to this reality is like, holy shit, like, thank God I still have these few things that I can rely on to, to be consistent while everything else is just like collapsing around me. And I like having the uncertainty of a child, I, I feel like would just be so, it'd be so challenging. And like, I always respect new parents because being able to like modify your entire life around a little being, and I hate to say it like this, that might turn out to be a fucking asshole. <laughs> You're hundred percent. You have no clue. You don't they, know their personality is good because they have none at first. They're literally yeah. just cry, cry, give me your tit, give me your tit, wipe my ass. Ah, oh, I'm wet. You have no idea. Like they might smile at you. They might smirk. Their eyes might be really cute, but you have no clue, no clue what this kid is going to be. And then they get a little older. You're like, oh, I think I see a personality here. I think I see one. And then they're completely different. And now like he's a toddler and we we're very, very lucky. He's a, he's a very, very easy kid. We have seen way worse toddler tantrums. Yeah. But like he'll still throw a little one, and I'm a little like, who the fuck is like, who are you? This is not you. But like, no wait, he's a toddler. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, you have, you have no clue. It's like even with sleep, like we didn't sleep train. Um, I was very much like, there's a problem. If it's a problem, there's a problem. We can fix it. We can we can buy a course. We can do this thing. But here's the thing: is it's also the, the temperament of the child. So maybe your kid is like, I'll sleep train. I'm cool with that. And rather they're like, fuck you. I'm an individual. Damn the man. Like they're going to do whatever they want to do. And you, you, it's, you're trying to figure that out. Yeah. And that's hard. Um, but yes, they can be a little asshole. You do. You have no idea if they're going to be an asshole or the coolest little fucker in the history of the world. They can also turn out to hate you and never talk to you again after they move out, which like dude, it's, it's crazy. You you play Russian roulette with your your genetic creation, and like like on one end you you have the potential of literally having the dopest version of a mini me possible, where it's like this is going to be my best friend. I'm going to be able to watch this this little me grow up. I'm going to be able to to be there for them and be able to like go to their t ball games. I'm going to see them, you know, graduate high school, all this fun shit. And then on the other end of that, it's like wow, this this kid could be a nightmare. They could be like this, like a criminal. They could fucking hate me. They could do all of these, they could steal from me, like all of these horrendous things. And obviously like no one wants to think about their child being like the shitty one, but man, it's like, there's, there's a chance. There's always a chance that your kid just like could end up being like problematic. And dude, it's like, like for me, the weight of that is, is like so hard to get over and get past whenever I think about like potentially having a kid because like I have a fucking dog. I'm like, well, at least at the very end of the day, my dog can't be a dickhead to me. Like she's always just going to be lovey. Like she's going to love me because she's a dog. Like, that's great. You know, but whenever it comes to a kid, it just feels like, man, it's, it's so hard to get over that initial hump of this could be awesome. This could be the best decision I've ever made. I could create like the fucking next, I don't know, Jeff Bezos or whatever, just like take over the world or this person could stab me in my sleep. 
I mean, that also can happen with anyone you decide to take out on a date. That's true. Yeah, I know. That's why I don't take people on dates. I mean, that's, you know, you can, you know, you could get in your car and be like, I, do I want to take this drive to the 7-Eleven? I don't know. I could die because a meteor randomly falls, hits this dude beside me, and his iPhone jettisons out of the car and hits me in the neck. Like, you can make up crazy stories about what could happen. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 this is what I would tell anyone who's worried about being a parent is... Do some hard work on yourself. Talk to a therapist and find out if this is something you really want to do. Please do not feel pressured by society. When people used to come up to me or my wife, I'm like, oh my God, when are you going to have kids? I would look them dead in the eye and go, why, yes, I do love fucking my wife. <laughs> because that's what you're asking me. Yeah. You're asking me, when are you going to have sex with your wife so that you can have a kid? Well, I'm just going to tell you, I love fucking my wife. Like, the end. Um, <laughs> as awkward as that would be, people would be like, not the answer you expected? Good. Don't ask me when I'm going to have kids. That's Fuck such off. A, that's such an annoying question. That plus like, or if you're not married, like, when are you going to propose? Like, when are you guys moving to the next stage in this relationship? Like, bro, my God, stop pressuring me. Jesus. Yeah. Christ. Like, like I, I'm sorry you got married after knowing that person for four weeks. Like, that's not how I want to live my life. I know. Man. Well, but uh, I, I would just, you know, do do some work, talk to a therapist, figure it out. It is absolutely okay for you to never want to have kids. My wife and I thought that was going to be the case. We kind of had a half-assed conversation about, are we going to do this? Is this really what we want to do? Uh, I guess, I guess we'll try. And literally, I fucking kid you not, the first try. Like, she was tracking her cycle. Like, I knew, I knew her shift when it was on, when it was off. Like, when we could have sex without protection. Like, great. And she literally goes back through and she's like, it was this night. I was like, fuck, we did have sex that night. All right, that was the night that uh, it was literally like four days after we had the conversation, uh, oh, because we we didn't we didn't think it would happen. You know, she was yeah, almost forty. Um, you know, she's in a in a in a larger body, so we thought it's going to be a little harder. We'll try for six months. If at the end of six months we're not pregnant, we're going to be the cool aunt and uncle for the rest of our lives. The universe was clearly like, ha ha, fuckers. Uh, at, at the same time, like that's a. Uh... It's a good problem to have, especially if you were actually like discussing that. Like if it wasn't just a completely out of left field surprise, because on the other end, dude, it's like, fuck, man, I, I have clients, women that are, that are my clients that have been trying for years. And it's like, so heart wrenching to see them continue to try and continue to try and have that disappointment. So while yes, it, it, that is absolutely fucking wild. <laughs> it hit on the first try. At the same time, man. Yeah, it, yeah and I, 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 we have, you know, we, you know, I've read about all that as well. Sometimes it's actually the men that are the issue, and it's not I'm the sure a lot, a lot of the time that are the, that are the, like with a lot of it. It is that men don't produce enough. It, there's a whole lot of reasons why it could be you know, men or can really be the issue, not women. But we soup women up with hormones, uh, and then jack them up, you know, for years to come. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't talk about that often because I have friends who have, you know, struggled to, to have kids and have done IVF. I know how hard that can be. Um, we just, we didn't, you know, we, we were like, well, our heart, like, we're not really in it to try it. We're not like, yes, you know, like, let's go do this thing. It was just kind of like, if it happens, it happens. Right. Uh, but you know, I, even a couple of weeks before we had that conversation, we fucking ate an edible and in the middle of having sex, I had a goddamn existential crisis. Like, 
like literally I went from like enjoying it to like freaking the fuck out because my body was like you need to procreate you need to procreate like I heard voices in my fucking head Bryce and I was like no what it's just how and I'm like okay can we take a break for a second I gotta like I gotta calm down she's like are you okay I'm like really high right now really fucking high um and it was weird because I I didn't think that I was fine not doing that. I look back at the last couple of years, I'm like, man, I could have paid myself more in my business. All that money. I like, we could have traveled. We could have done this. We could have done that. Like all the party, like we could, she could have come to the Mexico for John and Amanda's wedding. Um, like we would have done so many more things if we did have a kid. Um, you know, but yeah, I, it's, it's a strange thing. And it's a strange thing to actually go through that process. Um, and it's a strange thing to be one of those people who's like, yeah, it kind of happened the first time. Cause I don't want, I, I know people who struggled. Um, but you know, that is just my story. That is what happened. Yeah. Uh, so no, man, let's, let's go ahead and shift into a lighter note as we continue with this. Um, so I want to go back to the writing thing because for me, writing is like something that's super interesting. It's something that I put a lot of value into my stuff. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot, actually. Um, no, man, like, how did you start writing? And like, when did you first start feeling like that was like a hobby or a pursuit that you wanted to continue with? Um, and I guess like, like, what were some of the writing habits that you developed over time that felt like, or that you feel were useful for you and your, your process? Because for me, I know that I have my own kind of my own habits, my own structure to the way that I like to write, but everybody that I've talked to is very different in that. Um, so I'm very curious as to, to like your experience with writing and like how you got into it and like how you do it. Um, so I'm going to remember the second half of habits. Uh, cause when you ask about the process, my brain immediately started going into, Oh, we should tell a story. <laughs> uh, first thing I ever wrote, <clears throat> I remember this, I was four years old. Um, And we were in, we were, you know, living in a trailer where my dad was living until we're, where we were living until my dad built his dream house. Um, and I was sitting at the kitchen table and I can still see the place in my mind. I can still see that trailer in my mind. Uh, and I was in preschool and they were trying to teach us how to write our names. And I wrote Robbie. And like, as soon as I wrote the E, I was just like, <laughs> and ran down the hall. So the first thing I ever remember writing is my name. Uh, and I felt this power at that time. Like there was just something magical about it. Like I am making these marks and it gives my name. And I make these marks and I can say things with these squiggles. Yep. So when I was like maybe six uh, I started writing detective stories. So I, I grew up reading, uh, which is weird because for about 15 years, I'd tell you I wasn't a reader, but I actually remember reading quite a bit as a kid. Um, Encyclopedia Brown. Uh, I don't know why I read these books, um, but they were about this like kid detective. Uh, so I decided to start writing these detective stories about a detective named Tuesday. Um, clearly, I was ripping off uh, an, old <laughs> an old detective show with a detective named Friday. Um, whatever I'm six, <laughs> uh, 
And I remember writing these stories, you know, because I was reading Encyclopedia Brown. Um, and I loved writing. And I wrote a lot uh, of those stories as a kid. I got into school and, you know, whenever I had a chance to write, I enjoyed it. I, I loved writing it. Um, then I get into like high school and find that like, I'm really good at writing papers. Then I get into college and I'm like really good at writing papers or at least bullshitting why the WWF is exactly like the, uh, Roman gladiatorial games. Uh, so, um, I'm like writing these things. I got a D in a writing class once though, cause it was spring semester and I was partying more than I actually was going to class. Um, we've all been there. But I, I always, yeah, I guess. Fall semester is great. You get good grades. Spring semester is like, why the fuck do I now have a 2.8 instead of a 3.5? I was the opposite, man. I was the opposite. <laughs> like fall, I would do like, I would do shit. And then spring, I'd be like, well, I guess I got to pick it up now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed writing. Um, once I started my business that was where writing became even more important. Uh, and clearly my early knack uh, of talent for it uh, was enough for, for John to be like, you can get into my mastermind. Because uh, if you were a shit writer, he wasn't going to let you in. Like, yeah. It didn't matter. Um, and still to this day, the greatest compliment I ever got was writing an article about why everyone should watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and having him call me out of nowhere, because John hated being on the phone many years ago, he called me and was like, this is one of the best pieces of journalistic writing I've ever read in my life, and I need you to know that I'm calling you right fucking now, and you know how much I hate talking on the phone. That's how good this is. Um, so I will take that one to my grave. Um, but I, I've, I've, always, I've always enjoyed it. I have an idea in my head for a novel that I want to write. Yeah. I just have to get over the whole, like, it's not Harry Potter. It's not like, it's like, you know, like you want it to be this thing that it's not because you haven't even put anything down yet. Dumbass. You gotta at least write it first. Um, my, so I've always enjoyed it. I've been good at it. And I think just, I've written so much since I started my business because John harped on, this is how you communicate with people. Yeah. Do your video, do all that shit you want to do, but people are going to Google shit. They're going to find you. Like, Writing the the written word is always going to last longer than some video on Instagram or YouTube, um, which is true, but true in a majority. Uh, maybe not now for YouTube because you can have an eight year old video that still gets like hundred thousand views a day. But well, I'll 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 add my two cents to that. I think that whenever it comes to written word versus spoken word, people are forced to pay attention to the written word in a way that you can kind of zone out whenever someone is speaking, right? Like if you want to understand what is being said with written word, you have to be undistracted, right? Like you have to be really zoned in. And also you can appreciate good writing a little bit better than you can good speaking. If you're around someone who is like a phenomenal orator, that's different, right? But someone who just can communicate very clearly through words, whenever it's written or even like really good copy or anything like that. Right. I feel like it's easier to appreciate that whenever it's written versus whenever it's spoken, because so many people 
like they zone out or they like multitask whenever things are being said, especially YouTube, right? Like I watch YouTube videos or listen to YouTube videos whenever I'm doing other shit. Like I, I'm just yeah, attention to the gist rather than like the words, right? So I think there's some there's an attention that written words command that spoken words don't, especially in like the media that we consume today. Um, you know, if it's given like a, a commencement speech or something like that, I feel like that's a little bit different because you're not able to be on your phone. You're not, you know, doing a bunch of other shit at the same time. Um, but yeah, that's just my two cents there. No, I, I, I would agree with that. And I, I hope that it stays that way. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. You know, because we writing is such an amazing technology that humans created because you know, the Odyssey, the Iliad, that was spoken. Yeah. They didn't they didn't write that down. That was spoken. So when it was finally written down, either that story was completely remembered, or the original is so far from what we actually have that it's just a completely different story. Well, or the than likely that, the fact that it was remembered in the way that it was is still fucking insanity. But I mean right. it's well, I don't even know how many how many stanzas it is. because like it's technically a poem. Um, but dude, I mean, it's a fucking long book. Like, like the Iliad, yeah. that, well, they're both long. They're both long as fuck. Yeah. So like for someone to just remember that shit is, is insanity. And yeah. I was reading something about how they probably morphed the stories pretty heavily to make them have like, uh, what is, what, what is the, what is the word for pace in a poem? Um, God damn it. I can't think of it. Info? tempo but there's there's an actual word for it that i'm blanking on right now but either way they probably like morphed the stories like pretty heavily just to be able to remember them better because we remember poems songs much better than we remember like a fucking essay you know um but either way yeah it's insane it's insane that that was like a, a spoken story it was a a tale for like 500 years before anybody even wrote it down yeah 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 and and, and you know it, it, we went from hieroglyphics, which is basically like emojis, yeah. <laughs> to to written words, um, and they are really just scribbles. They're just symbols or sounds. They're symbols for sounds, and those sounds together can create meaning that can crush a heart, can fill you with love, can put a sword in your hand and willing to kill someone like. It's amazing what what they what it can do. Um, my habits around writing, I I try to write every day in some capacity. Um, some days it's more, some days it's it's less. Um, you know, before before I had my kid, oh my god, dude, my morning routine was so fucking nice. Wake up, I would read for thirty to forty five minutes, and then I would work on something an article that I was, I was just something that in, intrigued me that I wanted to work on, whether it was like writing about, you know, uh, motivation and like why we get it, why we lack it, whether it was about like some nutrition thing that I wanted to write about or like how to fill your triceps or some shit. Um, and I would just spend 45 minutes working on it. Um, that's now my day is truncated by, Kid is at daycare by 8.30. I have to pick him up by 3.45. I got to get an hour and a half workout in because now I have to do fucking cardio because it's TRT. Fuck you. But I got to do it anyways. Like, oh, I got check-ins. Like, like, everything is much smaller. 
in the time that I have allowed. Um, so I don't have like six hours where I can just spend six hours writing one thing. Yeah. Um, but I do try to write something every day. I try to read every day because a lot of what inspires me to write comes from my either lived experience or something that I've read. Um, sometimes it's an original idea. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's from something the client says. Sometimes it's something else. Um, I'm very bad sometimes about editing while I write, which you really shouldn't do. Um, but I just get obsessed with like one spot. I'm like, okay, now I'll move to the next thing. Um, I've always liked what John always said about how he would write uh, using the uh, using King Arthur the Round Table. That the castle wasn't built, and then they brought the Round Table in. The Round Table was put there first, and they built the castle around it. So when you're writing, what is the point? What is the Round Table? What is the the essence? The heart of the piece. Write that, build everything else around it. And sometimes that's how I'll do something. I'll have an idea. I'll have something I want to say. I write that. Great. Now, how do I lead into it? There you go. Other times it's, oh, God. All right. I need to rant on something. Go ahead. Um, I'll I'll rant on it. Then I'll go write a headline. Um, Social media stuff tends to be like a day of kind of thing. Yeah. I don't, I know everyone says plan ahead and what I, I just, I don't like, I hate, I hate writing for social media. I, I would rather write a long form thing yep. that I can sink my teeth into that. I have to do research on that makes my brain work. Like I'm going to get 10 likes on this. Great. And you're going to scroll to the next fucking thing and then go, I'm going to get this keto pill. Fuck you. You didn't just read what I wrote. Like, you know, I, I want something I can sink my teeth into. Um, so I would say good writing habits are read every day, write every day, even if it's 500 words, read everything. Don't just read self-help books or business books. Read, read fiction, read fiction and nonfiction, swap them off, read anything and everything. Um, and then find other writers who you're just like, fuck, I really love reading your stuff. Um, I know everyone whacks poetically about Ryan Holiday and Ryan, Ryan's uh, you know, his, his first book inspired my wedding vows. I told him that once and he was like, no one's ever told me that. That's the first time anyone's ever told me that. Um, and he's great, but like, it's just, it's simple, you know, it's like simple shit. However, his research assistant, um, Billy Oppenheimer is fantastic. And I love the way Billy looks at stuff. So I started following him on Twitter, subscribe to his email list. Um, obviously the, Mark Manson's made kind of a shift in how he does things via email now. I kind of like old Mark a little more. Um, but find people, find subjects that you love to just read uh, and take in. Find other you know nonfiction authors or fiction authors that you love. Try and imitate their style. Try to fuck take a, an article that Bryce has written. Uh, you know that or that, or or not. Uh, you know, or someone else, you know, in the, in the industry, if you're a fitness person, yeah. put it, put it in your Google sheet, copy and paste it in. And then I want you to rewrite what they said in your own words. Yeah. Even if it's about a squat, rewrite it. And then you start to go, Oh, this is how I would say it. If this person says it, you can take some of their voice and make it your own. You can play with that stuff. Um, but 
you can't be a good writer if you're not reading and you can't be a good writer if you're not writing. So you kind of got to do both those things every day. Um, and the most important habit I would tell you, again, John has said this numerous times, and I think Stephen King said it originally, you have to be okay with killing your darlings. If you're like, I want to make this joke and it's going to be hilarious and everyone's going to love it and you read it and you go, hmm, I really want to keep that in there because I laugh at it. You probably need to cut it. Like, if you're looking at it going, I could probably cut that, but, like, I want to keep it in there. Yeah. Like, I just made a post today about um, opening up about microdosing uh, for my postpartum depression. Um, and I had a joke in there about, well, the doses, is, the dosages are not, like, what you would use if you were going to do, like, I did that one time. I popped five grams and watched Sean, Sean CD and the Legend of the Ten Readings. And I was like, fuck, I have to cut that. Like, I want to have one of those. It was an awesome movie to trip my balls off to and watch. But it it's it's not needed. You yeah. Know? Like, it's just there for me. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because I, I, well, for one, I really appreciate you talking about all that stuff. And I agree with a lot of it as well. Like, I definitely agree with the reading. And I agree with reading every day. I agree with writing as often as you possibly can. For me, I struggle a lot with sitting down and writing for like 30 minutes or writing down, writing even for an hour because I feel like I can't fully switch my brain into the task of, of writing. It feels very rushed. It feels like I can't think deeply about whatever it is I'm saying. So then I feel like I'm doing like substandard work, right? It feels very much like I'm staying on the surface, but I almost need like three or four hours of like, don't fucking talk to me. I'm closing my blinds. I'm turning my lights dim in my office and I'm just going to think hard for the next three or four hours while I'm writing whatever it is I'm writing. And then all of a sudden, at some point, it just feels like things are pouring out of me and it just all is falling into place. I know some people can get by with like, I'm going to work on this, this article, you know, 30 minutes at a time, you know, 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the afternoon. I'm going to do it every day. I'm not like that at all. Like it takes me so much time to shift my brain into a task that is like as cognitively demanding as like really good writing is. And, you know, I feel like for myself, I've gotten a lot better at writing because I've been practicing for, you know, quite a long time. And I also, I read a lot. So like, I know the things that I like personally in, in a writing style. And I also know the things I really fucking hate in a writing style. But whenever it comes to my own like articles and essays and things that I put out, one piece of advice that I gave to myself that I feel like would be very helpful is like, write things that I would be interested in reading or write advice for me, right? So like, if you're speaking to yourself, if you're writing about, hey, like do this nutritional intervention. Hey, like this is why sleep is important. Hey, this, that, whatever. If you're writing to some made up audience, it is going to miss the mark. It's like always going to miss the mark. But if you're writing, basically like if it feels like you're reminding yourself of something that you already know and you're going through all the reasons, why you should not forget it next time. And you should like, Hey, fucking pay attention, dumbass. And if you write like that, I've found that your writing tends to be not only better, but also more digestible. There's a lot, a lot less bullshit that you tend to add in. That could just be like, it's, it's super, super, <laughs> wow. Superfluous. Wow. That I felt like I just had a short circuit there. Um, but anyway, like that, way of going about writing that, that way of thinking whenever I approach any kind of essay or article has, has helped me immensely because I feel like it takes the pressure off of like, Oh, other people are going to read this. And if I think about it, it's like, I'm going to read this, I'm going to write for myself. Then 
I'm, I'm an audience of one at that point. So if other people find interest in it, like great. But like, I know that for me, this is something that I want to hear. I need to be told again. I'm going to remind myself of this and I'm going to write in a way that like, I will be able to digest it. I will understand it. I'm not going to use big words for the sake of using big words. I'm just going to write and be very directly, be, be very direct, be very blunt, be very clear. And that has led to the best writing that I've done. I think that's, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman's 2012 commencement speech uh, is something I try to watch at least once a month. I'm not always perfect with it. Um, but, but he talks about that, you know, that if he, uh, if he did the work for the money, uh, then he would have the money, uh, but he wouldn't have the work. But if he did the work, didn't make any money, at least he would have the work. And I think that is a sign of a true writer is someone who knows, hey, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to write something that I want to write, that I want to read. And you do it, and in the end, you feel good about it. Yeah. And <clears throat> there's probably 99% of the articles on my website that that's the exact case for me. I wrote it. I felt good about it. It challenged me in, in numerous different ways. Um, but writing the things like to do is write them so that someone likes it on, on Instagram. Like, God, I, just, I hate doing it, but it's like, all right, I guess I'm supposed to be in your feed every single day so that you see this shit. Um, that's, that's the, that's, that's the stuff I hate. Yeah. Um, I'm like you, I want to spend three hours. I want to be like, I don't interrupt me. Like I don't exist. My phone is off. Uh, do not call me. Do not try to be like, Hey, want to come have sex? No, I am not in a sexy, good time mood right now. Like I don't want to do anything fun, but this, no, that's like, how I like, yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to do this and be focused on this. Um, and, and again, that shifts, you know, having a kid, like I have to find those times. I have to be more ruthless about those times for me. Um, and I know creatively that's been the thing I've been really struggling with since my son was born is finding that time. Um, and it's just been like moments. There's only been moments, not every day where I have it. Um, but it's, it's strange too, because like, I mean, I like thinking of, of writing of like the creative spirit of writing very much. It's, it's the muse, right? It's like, it is the best way of thinking about whenever you sit down and write, like you can try as hard as you can to summon the muse, but like she has to kind of just show up on her own terms, right? Like you just have to continue to do the work, continue to sit there until, you know, she appears. And it's really hard to summon that whenever there's a lot of pressure, whenever you know that there's time constraints, right? Whenever you know that like, fuck, I need this to happen right now. Cause then it's just not going to happen. Like then there's the pressure to make it happen is going to overwhelm the ability to actually have it happen. So like I obviously, again, I, I don't have that type of pressure. I don't have those restraints on me. I am luckily able to like, you know, carve out some time in the week. I don't know really how anymore, but like I do at times make, make that time to, to be able to sit down and write like, you know, long form articles. But do some of my best work that I've been able to do is literally like all in one go. Like I'll sit down and I will just write for like, you know, seven or eight hours and it'll end up being like, you know, 8,000 words or something like that. And like, I don't even edit it. I'm like, I'm not going to edit this. I'm not, I'm not even going to go back and reread it. Like, I'm just, I'm confident with it. Cool. I'm going to post it. I'm going to publish it and we're good. Um, yeah. But dude, getting over the fear of like publishing that at the beginning was very hard for me. Like 
it was very hard for me to actually like feel confident enough in my in my long form writing to to feel like I was worthy of having like a blog, right? It's like why the fuck would anybody care about what I'm writing? Like why why should I feel like I I am able to put my stuff on the internet, my thoughts on the internet without just polluting everybody's air, right? So it got, it took me a while to get over that, but I feel I feel like that was like a big a big stepping stone for me whenever I started to just again think about like bro, just write for you. Right for you. It's this isn't like you trying to entertain other people. If people find value in it, they'll continue to come back. They'll continue to stick around. They'll continue to read what you put out. Um, but just the ability to like put my thoughts down on paper and really analyze them until I was forced to be more clear with my own thinking. Dude, that's like carried over into everything that I do in a way that I don't think could have happened without me being much more deliberate about writing. It just, again, it forces you to clarify your thoughts in a way that like speaking doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can, you can speak something and forget it and not have to think about it. When you write it down, there's the physical manifestation of that coming from here all the way down into your fingers and you have to see it. You know, like, sure you can erase it if you have a pencil, but like, you don't fully erase it. You still see the shadows. Yeah. You still know what was written there. Um, and I think it forces you, it forces you to slow down because you can be a fast talker, but you have to be a slow thinker. Yeah. Yeah. I like, yeah. Uh, if, if you, if you really want to get there, cause my brain is like, my brain is, I see it. I even see it with my kid. Like I had a speech impediment growing up because my brain moved faster than my mouth could move. So I couldn't speak words. Like I was a sentence and a half ahead here than I was here. But writing completely eliminates that. Completely eliminates that. So it's funny because I, I feel very much the same way. Um, my brain works a lot faster than my mouth does. And my mouth works a lot faster than my fingers do whenever it comes to like typing or writing. So one thing that I have found a lot of use in is recording voice notes that are transcribed. So like I'll record, record a voice note. I'll use a software that transcribes that, but I'll just talk about something that I want to write about for like 10 or 15 minutes and just ramble, 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 ramble. And then I'll transcribe that. And then what I'll do is I'll go back through the transcription and clip out things that I actually want to expand on. And then I, I'll use that basically as like my rough draft or my outline to then build the entire article into. And that I feel like eliminates the empty page syndrome where you're, you're already starting with something. Yeah. It's ugly. It's you, you need to go back and, you know, definitely beautify it. You need to switch a lot of shit up structurally. It's going to be pretty, you know, nasty, but that's helped me a ton with saving a fuck ton of time. And then also being able to just like, again, get as many thoughts about whatever topic it is out without worrying about, putting them in a specific structure, a specific order, using the right words from the very beginning. It's like, just get it all out. Word vomit as much as you possibly can in 10 or 15 minutes and then worry about the structure later. Yep. I've done, I've done that with video. I'll just yeah. record myself when I'm stuck. I'll just record myself, get up, move around, walk around, let myself get animated. Um, you know, like talk to myself, is that really what you're trying to say? Like, are you trying to say that? Fuck, no, I'm not trying to say that. This is what I'm trying and then 
I get to the point of what I'm trying to get to. I'm like, fuck, that's what I need to write. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Audio, video, all, all of that. And a good walk. Just get the fuck outside. Um, there, there's that, nothing that will clear your head like a walk. Like, and don't bring your phone. Leave your phone yep. at home. Go walk with nothing to do except for look at nature. Look at the houses. Look at the sun. Like, it's amazing how much your thoughts can, like, clarify and crystallize whenever you have nothing to do but just walk around for 10 minutes. Yeah. 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 Dude. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say walking was... Walking has been one of the things through a lot of the stuff I've been going through this year since that psychedelic experience um, where like it gave me the break that I needed to like finally hear the deep inner stuff that I needed to hear because I didn't have my phone. I'm walking and crying at the same time. Like I'm asking all these like and I can finally hear because I'm not staring at my phone. I'm not trying to distract myself by watching another episode of Clone Wars. Like, okay, I can just like get outside and you'll do this thing. Yep. Like it's huge. It's huge. And I hate it in winter because I refuse to go outside. If it was below 25 degrees. Like I don't want to know it. I have a, a treadmill in the house. It's seriously such a fucking lifesaver. Like it, it was yeah. pretty cheap. Like we, I, I don't remember where we got it, but we got it a couple of years ago. Um, we got it whenever Lex, my girlfriend, I don't know if you've ever, have you met Lex? Was she at the Halloween party? No, I don't, I don't think you met Lex because she wasn't at John and Amanda's either. Um, but we got it whenever she was in prep a couple of years ago. Um, but dude, we get so much use out of it. And like, whenever it's cold in the mornings, I don't want to go outside, but I always have to take like a 20, 30 minute walk in the morning just to like get myself moving, get my blood warmed up and just kind of allow me to ease into my work day a little bit more naturally. And dude, it's a fucking lifesaver. It's absolutely a lifesaver to have a treadmill at home. So anybody who's listening, if you don't have a treadmill, fucking invest in a treadmill at home. Yeah, I've I've thought about being like, I mean, it is a business expense. I it is a business expense, a hundred percent. Yes, yeah. everything's a business. I just I I don't want to. I I am going to say this, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers, and that's fine. I hate people who have a walking desk, a treadmill desk. Well, I don't. I don't get how people. I get. I I can't. There's no way I could do that at the same time. No, I don't get it. And, and, and this is my main issue with it. If you can't stop work long enough to go get a 30 or 45 minute walk in, work, you need to really re-examine. And I get it. It allows people to move more during their day. Take a fucking break from work. What you're doing, like you are, you are not trying, like you're not doing universe saving work more than likely, unless you're like writing a speech for the president. Like yeah. you're not doing anything that taking a 30 minute walk. You can work from your phone. Like that's the thing is like everyone can work from their phone. Like if you're answering emails, you can work from your phone. If you're doing something for like your social media, you can work from your phone. If you're like for me, I, I have to carve out chunks of my day just to reply to text messages because I, I don't have my phone on me all day. Otherwise I would lose my fucking mind. So what I have to do is I have to say, all right, this 15 minute chunk, I'm going to, be on my phone. I'm going to reply to text. I'm going to reply to Instagram, whatever. Um, and with that, I just take a walk. I just take a walk, reply to text messages, go on Instagram, reply to DMs, do whatever I need to there. And then I come back, put my phone away, and then I get back to work. So I definitely agree with you. I I know people have the um, the bicycle, like the pedal desks, whatever they're called. I, I 
I can see those a little bit more because you're not like bouncing up and down. You're not worried about stepping off the treadmill. I'd worry that I was about to bust my ass. I also don't know how people can type while walking. Like, I feel like I would be all fucked up. But it's, it's like, it's such a slow, it's such a slow pace. I just, I think it bothers, it bothers me because I'm like, yes, people, it allows people to be more active. But like, why are we allowing that thing to come into a space where you like, you're working too much. Like, yeah. I, I just, I think that you're, you're enabling people to take something that is healthy and add it to something that like, not that work is unhealthy, but like, I, it, most, that's the only way you can get your movement is during your work. Maybe we need to rethink like work. Well, again, I'm, I'm very much of the mindset that like most things that are work these days can be done mobile. Like they can be done on the go. So most people can't, whether you have an iPad, whether you have a phone, whether you're on a call, whatever, you can generally afford to be walking around outside of your home office. But um, yeah, that's just my two cents. Either way, dude, I really appreciate you being on here with me. I appreciate the conversations. I know that you know some of these things were a little bit more, I don't say vulnerable because you've talked about them. You're more comfortable talking about it, but obviously like it is, pretty deep so i do really appreciate you opening up about those things but um yeah man i would love before we go for you to plug yourself let people know where they can find you like where they can reach you if they want to reach you things like that uh so obviously instagram side quest fitness uh s-i-d-e-q-u-e-s-t uh obviously that goes back to my nerd stuff uh you know playing rpgs I'm glad we did talk. If we did talk video games, this would be a three-hour conversation, <laughs> which I'm always up to to doing because that's my other favorite passion in life. Um, so maybe instead of the novel, I write a video game. Maybe that's what I turn the novel in. Um, you can find me there on Instagram, sidequestfitness.com is where you can find anything I've written. Uh, and then Facebook is just Robbie Farlow, uh, R O B B I E F A R L O W. You can follow me on Twitter at SideQuest FM because I used to use I used FM for when I had my podcast. I mostly just post stupid thoughts on like don't 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 come to Twitter and expect some like deep shit or like fitness shit. I'm mostly just like what what do I do with all these old emo lyrics that I had on AOL and Messenger? I'll just put them up on Twitter every once in a while. Um, you know, or when I want to bitch about sports, I'll put something up on Twitter. That's what Twitter's for anyway, dude. Um, but no, man, again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this. And yeah, we'll definitely have to do it again soon. Let you talk some video games. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, dude.